Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. book of Daniel, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, meet me in chapter 6, verse 10, and we'll read uh, verses 10 through 12. The book of Daniel in the Old Testament, chapter 6, verse 10, we'll read 10 through 12. I'll, go, I'll start with you and you can continue. Uh, when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. labor with me today for just a few moments I'd like to share with you from the topic of <clears throat> the power of a prayer a prayer life in a pagan land the power of a prayer life in a pagan land uh, let us pray dear Lord I just thank you for uh, another opportunity to come before you to come before your people uh, I pray Lord that you would uh, that I would just be moved out of the way Lord that I would be an instrument for you and, and that you would speak to us uh, Lord that you would offer your wisdom you would offer your guidance so we would be encouraged and convicted by your word. We pray, Lord, that uh, this, would, this food would go out, these seeds would go out and be planted and bear forth much fruit. We pray this in the name of your, your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 Please be seated. The power of a prayer life in a pagan land. I'm trying something new today. I got my laptop out because the screen is bigger. Didn't want to break out those reading glasses. I can see, I can see a little bit better, so I'm liking it already, liking that choice. Um, you know, this is my uh, favorite time of year, the fall. I love, uh, I love this season, especially these last couple days, even accented even more. Um, the, um, the, 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 the high pressure dominates. I'm kind of sound like the, the uh, local uh, weatherman here, but high pressure dominates the atmosphere. You see that big H when you watch the, uh, the local weather which basically means my knees don't hurt as much. Um, it's uh, clear skies, right? Severe clear, like we call it work, severe clear skies. We see uh, the vibrant colors, right? The fall colors uh, lining the landscape. And um, kind of the, the, the most, well, not most important, but a very important thing is it's football season. Football season is in full effect. Uh, this time of year, it's awesome. You can see a game almost every day. Uh, I do a lot of reminiscing at this time. It's been some years since I strapped the helmet on, but uh, I reminisce and exaggerate just a little bit. You listen to my kids about my exploits, but uh, it's just a great time of year. I think um, one of the things, though, as I get older that uh, um, I'm, I'm depressed with, I guess, to a certain extent, or disappointed in, I'll say it like that, disappointed in, 
this, that comes along at this time of the year is, uh, is another season. It's not football season, but it's election season. Um, I don't know if you guys have been kind of noticing what I've noticed, but it just seems like now there's just so much more we're bombarded with, man. You can't watch TV. You can't uh, uh, turn on your phone. Now it's even text messages and emails, right? We're continually bombarded with the worst of who we are, right? We uh, continually see the, um, uh, ex the ex exploitation of, of crime and, and the, uh, the issues that people have in life that, uh, that, that really there's an answer to in the gospel, but we continue to see that being exploited and blamed on the other one, blamed on the opponent. And uh, no matter what your affiliation is, and, and I encourage everybody to participate in this system to uh, vote as citizens, that's our right, and there's people that have died, right, to give, give us that right to vote. So I'm serious about that. But if you, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, if you accepted him, if you're a disciple of Christ, then you gotta be grieved by uh, the ads, by the, the tenor, right? The flavor of this whole season of any election year. Um, that's, that's one of the things I think that we find in the book of Daniel. I think uh, when you think Daniel, you think a lot of times about the, uh, the lion's den, right? We go right to the lion's den, but it's really a political book. It's really a book that, uh, that, uh, that has some vision, but it, but it actually speaks a lot to the situation that we're in today. And, and there's many parallels to, the, uh, to, to where we find ourselves today. Um, the, uh, there's two major themes, I think, that are they're in almost a direct parallel to what we find with, the, um, with, the, with this two-party system we live in. Uh, one of the major themes that we find is that uh, there's insecurity in all monarchy and worldly government. The insecurity in all monarchy or worldly government. What, what do I mean by that? Well, today, like in Daniel's day, uh, so often the trust of public office is used to advance personal interest. We see uh, the people that are supposed to protect us actually injure us. And at every level of government, in every nation around the globe, we can hear details almost daily of scandal, improper behavior, so-called public servants. Far too many politicians, judges, military and police officials idolize themselves and they directly oppose the Lord. And sadly, many do that while claiming they believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The second major thing we find in the book of Daniel is the perpetual conflict of the kingdom of darkness against the kingdom of light. And by the kingdom of light, I mean the kingdom of God. We're confronted with an agenda now as they were then that, uh, that is to discredit God and tempt us in the same way that the serpent tempted Eve in the garden. You know the words, it was the first lie ever uttered. You will be like God if you eat of this fruit. There's definitely nothing new under the sun, as King Solomon said, but it just seems now with the technology we have and our level of communication, it just seems to come quicker. The lies seem to come louder, and the lies seem to be more frequent. But despite the insecurity in the government, uh, despite the ongoing battle between light and darkness, one thing we see clearly in the life and witness of Daniel that still rings true today is the power of prayer in a pagan land. You see, Daniel was a... Uh, he was a man of profound faith. He was a personification of a prayer warrior. He's a member of the tribe of Judah under Babylonian rule, and he was actually a prisoner of war. You can think of him as a prisoner of war or even a slave. He can be described as even a slave in his current condition. In chapter one, we see he's one of four young men described to have no physical defect. 
It says they were good looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. In chapter 6, where we are today, it's believed he's approximately 70, 80 years old. So we're talking about decades that he's been set aside and living under this captivity. He served the Lord faithfully during that time and honored the Most High God for decades. He witnessed the rule and advised King Nebuchadnezzar. He witnessed the rule of King Belazar, and now he's under King Darius. But through it all, through prayer and faith, he was serving the one true God, regardless of who his earthly king was. Let's look at uh, verse six, verse, uh, sorry, yeah, verse, uh, chapter six, verse three. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. So this man that was actually, like I said, a slave or a prisoner of war had elevated himself by God's grace to a place where he was even considered to be a prime minister of Babylon, of this country at this time, right? He was one of three governors in his current position that served over some vice, what you might call vice regents, uh, different areas. He, um, he basically distinguished himself among them so much, he was trusted so much that the, the, uh, the king actually considered making him a prime minister. Well, even when, even when others implied that possibly, well, this guy's a, he's, a he's, a, uh, he's from Judah, he may try to, to uh, form an insurrection, he may try to come against your rule. King Darius implicitly trusted Daniel. And he should have, if he witnessed the kind of the essentially the God, the way God had used him, right? Approach King Nebuchadnezzar, the way that God used him with King Belazar, there's no doubt that he should uh, that he should trust that uh, that Daniel was somebody he could implicitly trust. Um, and in fact, in Daniel's old age, he even epitomized, I think, what Psalm 92 says. It's beautiful uh, about growing older. They still bear fruit in old age, healthy and green to declare, the Lord is just. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. How trustworthy are we today? I know we might all not, well, whether we want to admit it or not, we may not be old of age, right? But can we be considered of extraordinary, right? Are we extraordinary? Are we faithful? Do we serve God uh, above all else, right? Do we serve our uh, our earthly leaders as unto God? Right? Daniel was in exile in a foreign land. He was literally a slave, as I said before, but the Lord elevated him because he, he served in that way. He was honorable. In fact, he was so honorable, the men who he served with, who, who plotted against him, his actual enemies, and these were real enemies, but the only complaint they had against him was these men said, we will never find any charge against Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. Wow, what a powerful testimony even surrounded by corruption, right? Even standing firm in the face of of government that was foul, of lies, hearing lies constantly, of hearing conspiracy theories, of hearing of, of, of all the things that we're bombarded with daily, Daniel stood out and they couldn't find uh, any skeletons in his closet. There's no bones there, right? There's nothing that he did to dishonor his God. In fact, the only impeachment they had was that he wouldn't dishonor his God. They knew his loyalty and dedication to God was unimpeachable, but they had to get him out of the way. Why did they have to get him out of the way? Well, if you're doing dirty, you ever been around somebody that was doing dirty? If you're doing dirty, the last thing you want is somebody clean walking in, right? 
because you don't know if they're, they're maybe the ones who, you know, we can have those saying snitches get, uh, get stitches or, you know, um, uh, everybody tries to play along, right? We're going to play along to get along. Uh, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, all that stuff. Yeah, you may hear that. But if you really are doing dirty, if you really are conspiring, if you really are trying to uh, go for your own selfish motivations, if you, are if you have made an idol of yourself, then when you see a man of integrity, when you see a man who trusts God, when you see how God has been active in Daniel's life, you know he's got to go. And so they, they, uh, they basically started plotting on Daniel right away. If we look at, uh, at verse 6, it says, So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. Well, that's the start of it, right? They start to kind of goose up the king. They know king, the king has a high, high um, opinion of Daniel. He knows who he is. So they've got to begin to blind the king with what? The king's own pride. So they got to goose the king up a little bit. May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, sergeants, advisors, and governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days, anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Well, they started off with a lie. What's the lie? All the administrators? Where's Daniel? Was he there with them? Had he, had he weighed in on this decision they made? Um, if, if, if King Darius has such a high view of Daniel, why didn't he think about, well, is all of you guys, where's Daniel? Is Daniel here? Um, did, did, did he weigh in on this? Daniel, can I get some counsel from you in this? But he was so blinded by his own pride, the idea of just everybody coming to him, right? The idea of everybody uh, petitioning him for him having the illusion of the power to make change, any real change in anybody's life was all he could see. So he goes right along and signs this decree. He goes right along and condemns whoever does this to the lion's den. Such a brutal way, such a torturous way to die. So they're not convicted just to death, but they're convicted to, to torture and death. And keep that in mind as we go on. Um, but the appeal of, uh, I'm sorry, but the, uh, there were no exceptions to this. And on the face of it, it seems it's kind of tempting, right? When you say, oh, okay, for 30 days, you just got to petition the king, many people probably say, well, I, you know, they don't know what I do. I'll just, I'll do what I want to do anyway, right? I'm not going to do that. Or some probably just compromised. I'll petition the king, even those in exile who knew the most high God. That really begs the question, what impact would a similar degree have on you or the life of the church today? The answer in many instances might be embarrassing or startling. Prayer is such a neglected discipline. It's a careless afterthought. Paul wrote in his, uh, in his letter to Thessalonica that we should pray constantly. I like the old King James, King James Version that says we should pray without ceasing, right? That's a simple phrase. It means we should have a constant attitude of prayer. We should, we should constantly be prayerful. But many times we find in our homes and our churches today we're prayerless. I don't mean a casual throw up we do and we're getting ready to eat, right? We're rushing to eat the food that God has so graciously given us, or that last-minute appeal we make before we take the exam, if we're a student, or before we go into the doctor's office and we haven't been feeling too well, or before we apply for the loan, if we know our credit's a little, uh, right? Um, but how much do we engage in focused communication with the owner-creator of all things? How quickly do family and job or leisure commitments distract us from praying constantly, even without a decree from somebody like King Darius, right? 
Why was prayer so important to Daniel? Why is, why, how do you achieve such a prayer life or such a concept or, or such an idea about prayer? Our prayer life is directly reflective of our opinion and our dependency on God. I'll say that again. Our prayer life, it directly affects our dependency and our opinion, our true opinion of who God is. We're aware of how much we need God. We don't hesitate to pray. You know the old saying, there's no atheist in a foxhole, right? Uh, when you're lined up, when you're sitting behind the, on the other side of the desk trying to get that loan and you know your credit's not, mm, yeah, you are going to be praying, but what if your credit is top notch? What if you really don't need this, but this is something that you just there, are you praying then? What if you just got the, your heart's desire or your, or your best wish? Are you praying then? Are you giving prayers of thanksgiving? How do we operate in prayer, how is, what is the discipline? How is our, our prayer life disciplined? Yeah. Well, I think there's some things we can learn to increase that. So if you are that prayer warrior like Daniel, I pray you'll be encouraged. If you're not, then we're gonna, we're gonna see some things so we just kinda dissect who Daniel was that may help you, that will help you to get to that place. And if we look at this, if we look at this passage of scripture and focus on verse 10, I think you'll see some things that will help us. The first thing we see when we look at verse 10 is Daniel had a position, a correct position of prayer. He had the correct position of prayer. And we verse 10, it says, when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in his upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem. Clearly we can see that he knew um, about the king's order. If you, uh, if you read the, the, the verse, it says he learned, right, about the document. So he knew not only the document had been signed, but he could deduce from that point, he's, a, he's an intelligent man, that been plot, there was probably a plot against him, or this king had just went rogue like the other ones had, right? Yet there was no panic or outrage. This thing doesn't say Daniel went into his house and got a drink so he could relax. <laughs> didn't say Daniel went in to binge watch his favorite uh, Netflix show or, or uh, HBO Max, right? Doesn't say Daniel went in and got on social media and created a hashtag and, and started a uh, protest, right, over the king. How dare he do this? All the exiles come together. He didn't do that. Was he naive, maybe? Maybe he was disconnected from reality. Maybe he just snapped. That was it. Daniel was an old man. He couldn't take any more. That was all. He gave up. No, that's not the case either. He didn't change at all when he heard the news he didn't change his position. He didn't change his attitude. He went into his house. He approached these windows that he always approached, and he did what he always did. Daniel was simply getting in the proper position. You see, his upstairs window opened toward Jerusalem. Um, the reason we get this, and as we look at his life, I don't want to uh, confuse anyone into thinking this is a, uh, a prescriptive passage where we have to pray three times a day. We got to find a room that faces Jerusalem. No, that's not what the book is telling us to do, right? But if we look closer at who Daniel was and what he was doing, there's significance. There's some significance to that window and where it faced. He made a conscious choice to pray daily, positioned in a place facing a city that will remind him of God's promises, his mind, emotion, and will were focused on the power and promises of God that were symbolized by that city. And he chose to position himself. He made the choice. He chose to place himself in front of a window that would, that he, where he could reflect on that. Daniel's kneeling in, direction, in the direction of Jerusalem was not a required ritual, right? He wasn't required to do that. But when he did that, 
Perhaps he was meditating on the words of King David in Psalm 121 where it says, I will lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Maybe Daniel reflected on the prophet Jeremiah where he said, you will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Maybe he heard Isaiah or he was studying Isaiah when he said, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that the time of hard service is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Even before they call, I will answer. Even before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. As Daniel prayed, he didn't face Babylon. As Daniel prayed, he didn't face his accusers, the conspirers, his haters. He didn't face King Darius. He faced Jerusalem. How do you position yourself when you pray? We want to get to that level. We want to get to the Daniel level of prayer. Well, how do we position ourselves? What are we looking at when we pray, right? Where's our focus when we pray? Do we choose a position that's in view of the maker and owner of all things? Or do we focus on our circumstances? Is our intensity of prayer greater when we're going through something than it is when everything seems to be okay? When you're praying for deliverance from anger, is this, is this word in view, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. How about when you're troubled on the job or at school? Do you pray and open your window to commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established? When you're in trouble with, gr when you're trouble with grief or discouraged with the troubles of life, can you see clearly that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble? This is my comfort and my affliction, for your word has given me life. Unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. What about in celebration and joyful times, in the good times? Do we close the window and celebrate? Do we party, have a spades tournament, turn it up? Or do we open the window to the 100th Psalm, give thanks to him, and bless his name, for the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. Regardless of your situation, choose a position that faces God in prayer. In the uh, 2015 movie, The War Room, uh, the Miss Clara character is given a, a tour of her, her home. She's trying to sell her home, uh, downsize, and she's got the real estate agent, Elizabeth, played by Priscilla Shower. Um, giving her a tour of her home, and they, they come upon a, a closet. It looks like an empty closet, but there's like a chair in there, and, and they've got, uh, there's handwritten notes and scriptures all kind of tacked, taped, and posted all around the wall, and, and Miss Clara just proudly says, this is my war room. She said this room is where she goes to petition God, where she goes to praise God, where she goes to worship, and she it says something deep here. She says, when I do that, when I give all my cares to him, he does the heavy lifting. Daniel chose to position himself in front of those windows facing Jerusalem physically, but him, like Miss Clara, first chose to position his heart facing the plans and promises of God so God could do the heavy lifting. But not only did Dan choose, Daniel choose the proper position for prayer, he was also persistent in prayer. Let's look at the, uh, the same passage there. It says three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God just as he had done before. Three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God just as he had done before. Again, this isn't prescriptive. Three times isn't the magic number. Five times isn't the magic. In fact, if you're counting the number, 
then you're probably not praying, right? That's the point. And that's really Daniel's point. As I mentioned earlier, that, that he, he, not only did he position himself in the right place, but he also had a pattern. He wasn't shaken by the external things going on. How do you get to that place? How do you get to a place where you're not shaken by the bad news that you get? How do you get to a point where you're not shaken by the disturbances that come into your life? Well, one, you have to recognize who the owner and maker of all things is. You have to know who's in control. With his tracker, with Daniel's tracker with God, then of course he knew he could be persistent because he knew who God was. Daniel's uh, was his also, also his position, or his, his persistence in prayer wasn't about showing off to others. He wasn't like the Pharisees in Jesus' day who prayed three times or prayed the times they prayed so that others could see them and glorify them. Daniel was purposed to give thanks and glory to God. He, he, uh, Daniel was a political prisoner. He was living on the whim of one tyrannical leader after another, but he still was dedicated enough, even after hearing the new law, to continue to pray visibly, right, to his God out an open window. His co-workers were conspiring against him. He didn't know what type of, we don't know what type of community he has around him, but just by the sheer nature of his elevated status, he probably didn't have a lot of peer group, right? The governors don't have a great peer group of people. Most of the other exiles probably didn't even consider this that much of a big deal, right? They had probably already, they had already lost some hope, right? But Daniel was consistent, right? Daniel was persistent in his prayer. He was persistent in his prayer, but not only was he persistent, he was persistent in how he prayed. This wasn't a panic prayer. It says he thanked God as he always done. He thanked God as he had always done. He thanked God. He didn't ask God to destroy his adversaries. He thanked God. He didn't ask him to quickly end the exile. He thanked God. He didn't ask him to change this law or give him an audience with the king. He thanked God like he had always done. Something we see in Daniel's persistent prayer is the old age saying, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Continue thinking God reminds us of his track record. We see it in Hebrews 11. Now without faith, it's impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Again, I like the old King James Version on that where it says diligently seek him. That's what Daniel was doing. That three times a day wasn't putting on a show. He was diligently, diligently seeking God. Remember Paul, remember Paul's words when he said pray constantly. Daniel was living this principle out centuries before Paul came on the scene. Many of you are familiar with my wife's testimony about her deliverance from African spiritualism and the black conscious community in her college years. Uh, she writes about it extensively in, um, in Pastor Mason's book, Urban Apologetics, chapter 9. If you don't have the book, get the book. You should have the book. No excuse for none of us to have the book by now, right? Get the book. Listen to the book. Get the book. And read chapter 9. Uh, it'll bless you. One of the things that have always encouraged me about her testimony is how her dad would pray for her. Uh, this is back in the day when there's no voicemail. Um, they, uh, she didn't have a cell phone. She had an old, and for, for some, if you're not about that age, you might not even know what an answer machine is. But it was like a, a tape recorder. You might not know what a tape recorder is. But it was uh, it's a big brick that you set next to your phone that had a cord on it. Or maybe you had one that was cordless that had an antenna you pop up and you could walk around the house with. Um, but but uh, she had an answer machine, and her father would call every day and pray out the answer machine. What do I mean by pray out the answer machine? Pray the tape out 
So the whole table, she couldn't get another message. So her voice box was full because he prayed out the box. They prayed out the tape on the answering machine. The ironic thing is he didn't even know the specific of what she was going through. He didn't know the depth, right, of her backslidden condition. He didn't know where she was. He just, know, he just knew she needed the Holy Spirit to move on her life, right? But that wasn't a new thing for him, right? He was always in prayer. The, the even more encouraging thing is when I talked to, talk to my wife, she says that it wasn't like a new thing for him to do that. She wasn't surprised. Oh, wow, dad's praying now. What's going on? She'd wake up as a child and see him praying, kneeling in the basement, kneeling, kneeling next to his bed, uh, praying. And when she'd come in from school, he'd be praying on the phone for somebody. He'd pull a call over a minute and pray for somebody. He had a constant attitude of prayer, prayer in the grocery store, prayer in the mall, uh, even now. Uh, don't let him send you a text message with 300 words because he types it like a letter to send you a prayer. Am I elevating him? Is that, is that the point here? No, the reason that he prays, if you would ask him why he prays like that, is because he understands how much God is in control. He surrendered fully to who God is. He, he believes wholeheartedly what James says in James chapter 4. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will travel, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make profit. Yet you do, you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. If we see ourselves as a vapor, then we pray. If we see ourselves as a vapor, even on the good days, even when the knees don't hurt, even when the sky is clear, we recognize that just like Jesus told the, the parable of the, uh, of, the, of the rich man, you can build barns, you can have the greatest time in your life, but this day, your soul is required of you. If you live like that, if you live, if you live submitted, wholly submitted in your life to God, then you will be persistent in prayer. You will recognize that it's not you. And ultimately, it's an issue of pride because we think we're responsible. So persistent in prayer is also the sound of prayer. It's an aroma of prayer. I talked about the fall season and, and we sometimes, we, you know, you go around now, you, you see pumpkin spice everywhere, right? There's pumpkin spice and pancakes, there's pumpkin spice candles, but it, it, it does give off a smell of the era, right? The air, right? What's the smell that, that we give off, right? Are we, are we burning sage at the crib? Is that what we smell? Do we smell, do we smell the, 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 the hint of, of alcohol because that's our, that's our, our, our idol, right? Uh, do, we, do we smell a bad attitude? Right? That has a smell too, right? You can stink in attitude. Do we smell that? Or we give off the aroma of prayer, one who's wholly submitted to who God is. Um, when you do pray, you intercede for others. How many times have you said the, the pop quiz for yourself? Don't answer, don't raise your hand, but how many times you said, I'll pray for you and never interceded for your brother or sister? That's terrible, I'll pray for you. But do you pray? Or do you pray in faith? Or do you pray in thanksgiving? Or is it selfish, is it just self, selfish petitions to get what we want? If we want to experience the power of prayer in a pagan land, we need to position ourselves in prayer. We need to be persistent in prayer. But finally, we need to have the right posture in prayer. Going back to that same verse, three times a day, he got down on his knees. He got down on his knees. Now, I've already said this twice. I'm not going to say it again. It's not prescriptive, right? So don't go away saying, Pastor Mark said you got to get down on your knees every time you pray. That's not the reason that we see it this way. But it does say something about who Daniel was. 
It does say something about his relationship, his attitude, and his perspective about God, that he got down on his knees. Daniel got down on his knees and prayed to demonstrate his total submission to God. The amazing thing about Daniel and, and the, uh, the three Hebrew boys, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, their stories are told in the book of Daniel. Uh, awesome read, better than any, any uh, drama, any docudrama that you can uh, stream right now. But the, the thing I love about them is they never compromise in their belief and trust in God. Never, there's never any compromise there. They always confronted anybody that came against God, they confronted, but they never compromised in their beliefs. In fact, the, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is, is when they were about to go into the fire furnace and, they, uh, and King Nebuchadnezzar, was, they had an audience with King Nebuchadnezzar and they said, if the God we serve exists, if the God we serve, they're serving a God and they have nerve to tell him, well, if he is, since you don't believe, I'll tell you what, if he doesn't exist, then he can rescue, if he, if he does, if, we, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. If he, if he can rescue us from the power of you, the, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, not even if he doesn't exist, but even if he doesn't rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden statue you set up. Now that's some bold talk, talking to the king, right? When you're seeing people burning up in a furnace right next to you, they literally said, we're not going to worship your God, and we're rejecting that statue you put up, right? So do what you're going to do. Let's go. They trusted God. They trusted God and refused to compromise. That's the ultimate picture of humility. Daniel himself in chapter 5, if we look back to chapter 5, there's a great story there, and I'd encourage you to read that too because... Uh, I'm going to talk about it now, but if you don't believe me, read chapter, if you haven't read chapter five, you know what I'm talking about. But if you haven't, haven't read in a while, go back and read that and you, you will laugh and you will, you will praise God for the picture he has. The Lord gave a message to King Belshazzar on his last night really of life, right? And the message was really just a hand that showed up, a visible hand showed up at a feast and wrote on the wall. I said, God made a hand appear, Right? He made a hand appear and write a message on the wall while this king was, was full of himself and celebrating his greatness. The Lord gave him a message. He didn't send him an email. He didn't send him a text. He didn't send a runner with a message. He popped a hand up out of nowhere and wrote a message on the wall. And nobody understood what it meant. So now the king is like interrupted his party like, man, who can do this? Somebody say, hey, Daniel, this Daniel guy, he can maybe interpret it. Daniel comes in and he's like, Hey, I want you to interpret this message. And, and, and this is the, 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 the funny part is, he said, uh, he told him, he told Daniel to come in and he said, if you can interpret the message, then I'll give you this purple robe. It was like a whole like uh, uh, hip hop starter kit, right? Back to Rum DMC. He's like, I'll give you a purple robe. I'll give you a fat gold chain. I'll make you a leader over a bunch of stuff. And Daniel literally told him, now read chapter five. He said, uh, now you can keep your stuff, man. I don't want your stuff and give, give that other stuff to somebody else, but I'll interpret the dream for you. I'll, I'll interpret the writing for you. And he interpreted the writing, and essentially the writing said, your time is up, okay? So that's where King Darius comes from, because the Lord took Belzar that night, and Darius took over. So that's how, that's how powerful the, the, the relationship was, his prayer, his posture and prayer was. He understood who he was talking to. Daniel understood. The other people should have, right, with God's track record, but Daniel understood. 
That's what humility is. It's a low view of our own importance, right? He even tempted to have more importance, even tempted to put on a gold chain or put on a robe. He knew that was just, that was just an illusion, right? That was an illusion of power. That was an illusion of strength. He knew who had the real strength. He had a low view of his own importance. And the presence of God, according to James 4, we talked about before, if you lack humility, if you lack humility, James says that you're in direct opposition to God. It's clear Daniel was on his knees because he saw God in a proper perspective. No earthly ruler, no enemy, no circumstance was larger than God, and he knelt not to look humble, not to appear to be humble. He knelt because he was humble. If we're to harness the power of prayer in a pagan land, we must assume a posture of humility in our hearts. If you see God clearly and allow yourself to get out of the way, allow yourself to get out of the way. If, if you allow yourself, I'll say it again, if you allow yourself to get out of the way, if you can get out of your own way, if we can allow ourselves to get out of the way, we consider who God is. If we consider, our, if we consider who God is and allow ourselves to get out of the way, we can embrace, right, the power of prayer in a pagan land. One of the primary principles in any military academy is a fourth-class system. When you enter into Air Force Academy in West Point, those, they strip you down, right? They take everything away from you, and, and they begin to give it back slowly. They teach you how to walk a new way, talk a new way. Uh, they teach you how to eat even in a new way. And initially, you can be resistant to that, but if, when you come around and notice, hey, these guys are, are really trying to steward me, shepherd me, um, you, you eventually become like a military officer that they're trying to, to groom you to be. In the same way, when we take on Christ, when we accept Christ, when we receive and trust him, he gives us a new walk. He gives us a new talk. He gives us a new thing to wear and put on. And if we do that, if we humble to that, if we surrender to that, then we can embrace this power that I'm talking about of a, a prayer in a pagan land. Um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, running out of time here, so I'm going to go right to the close. I think the, uh, uh, the, 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 the lion's den is really, if we use a word association with the book of Daniel, uh, everybody probably thought the lion's den, right? How many people probably thought lion's den right away? And we talked about, we're going to talk about that. Lion's den was a treacherous way to die, right? Um, we think about a lion, the uh, 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 a lioness could be as long as eight feet long, probably 500 pounds. The roar can be heard for four or five miles. Imagine putting him in a den. I don't even like to go too close to the lion exhibit at the zoo, right? <laughs> Imagine being put in a den of lions, hungry lions that are devouring everything that's thrown to them. In fact, this is so gruesome, it, this, this scripture actually implies they didn't even want to see it. And these are people that would see very gruesome things anyway, right? Um, they put a stone in front. The Bible says they put a stone in front and they sealed it. And, and, and Daniel was inside. The king was now, he's terrified. Like, man, okay, this decree, it had a result that maybe has Daniel taking his life or has, has Daniel being torn apart by these lions, but they didn't want to see what the, what the detail of what was going on inside and they closed it off. Well, the, uh, the, the, the significant thing about that is, I think is, there's another, uh, there's another t uh, uh, stone that was put in front of a, a tomb some years later, right? Um, but it was, of, it was put in front of a tomb because the, uh, the, the, the death that they witnessed, it wasn't hidden behind the tomb, right? The body was placed in the tomb, but the actual death was on full display. Our Lord Jesus Christ was beaten on full display. Our Lord Jesus Christ was bruised on full display. Our Lord Jesus Christ was hung up on a hill in full display. And, and, and the incredible thing about that was, not only was it not hidden, it wasn't supposed to be hidden. Why? Because Jesus said, if I be lifted up, 
I'll draw all men unto me. So it's important that we see one of the, the principles we see in the life of, of Daniel about prayer, the principles we see in the life of Daniel about getting in a position of prayer, the principles we see in the life of Daniel about being persistent in prayer, the, the, the principles we see in the book of Daniel about a posture of prayer really gives us a chance to embrace the principle that Jesus did when they rolled that stone away from the tomb and he came out with all power in heaven and earth in his hands. That's the power that we have when we, when we pray. That's the power that that prayer entails when we pray in a pagan land. When we pray with, we pray with the proper position, we pray with the proper persistence, and we pray in the proper posture. Uh, I, I would encourage you today, if you don't know, if you don't know that Jesus that actually went on that hill and died, who surrendered his life, allowed himself to be lifted up so all men could be drawn unto him, I would encourage you to embrace him, right? I would encourage you, encourage you to see how lowly you are, have a low value of yourself and a high value of the God who could close the mouth of lions, the God who could take the heat out of fire, and the God who could dismantle any regime that exists from that time up to this. Let's go before the Lord. The Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Lord, for, for this word from the life of Daniel. Uh, thank you, Lord, for, uh, uh, for prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the discipline of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come before you in prayer. You have an open line to us. We have an open line to you through prayer. We can petition. We can thank. We can approach you boldly because of the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, and we pray, Lord, as we leave from this place, that we would, we would uh, possess, Lord, the correct position of prayer. We would possess the uh, correct persistence of prayer, and that we would possess the correct posture of prayer. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Passive Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you.